Richard liked money. He liked it a lot. So he chased after it and what it could get him. Richard ended up getting a career as a technology manager and he made a very good income. The problem was that Richard consumed every dollar he made. He squandered his income on uh, his appetite to look important, to feel wealthy, look wealthy, and to impress others. And so he made sure that he had to have the nicest and up-to-date computers and gadgets. He bought or leased nice cars that he really shouldn't have. He dined out a lot, and he spent a gross amount of money on various forms of recreation and entertainment. When his lifestyle maxed out his income, he started to turn to debt. And then he started to finance his financially reckless lifestyle with loans and credit cards. As you can imagine, his pursuit of money and its empty promises uh, to buy fulfillment eventually led him to dig a hole so deep he couldn't get out. His debt load was two-thirds of his income, so he hit the wall. What did that pursuit of Richard gain him? What did that reckless spending get him? Feelings of anxiety, stress, depression, hopelessness, slavery to money and possessions. And all the people that he was trying to impress never had a chance to really know the real Richard, just the image that he had bought to try to earn their acceptance. And we hear a story like Richard's, and it's very easy to say, we know who the culprit is in the situation. It's money. Money is the problem here. And uh, that's the reason he went down that road. In fact, we might think of a saying that a lot of us have heard that went something like this. Money is the root of evil. It makes sense. It sounds good. And it's in the Bible, right? No. Yeah, some of you know where I'm going with this. That is not what God has said. Now, what I want to do is I want to tweak it a little bit to take a stab at it to see if you think this is what the Bible says. True or false, what the Bible says is that the love of money is the root of all evil. How, how many of you would say true? How many of you would say false? How many of you say I'm not going to vote because I'm scared to be wrong? <laughs> That's false. It's close, but not quite. I invite you to open up your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. The phrase that we have heard is a distortion, adaptation from the Bible. But like most verses that are taken from the Bible, over time, if uh, not careful, they morph into something that's actually not the Bible. And so if we want to see what God actually said, this is what he said. I invite you to read this verse with me on the screen or from your Bible. It says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. You see the little fixes? The, the love of money, it's the love of money is a root, not the root, it's a root of all kinds of evils. So, so we have to understand this a little bit more beyond what we see. Now, why is it wrong or damaging to believe that money is the root of evil? Well, first, it puts the blame of deeper issues on a neutral resource. Money is not morally good. Money is not morally bad. It's morally neutral. In the hands of a person who's wise and disciplined, uh, it can be used responsibly. In the hands of a generous person of charity, it can do great things for humanity. In the hands of a lover of Christ, it's used to do God's work and build God's kingdom and bless and help others. Uh, in the hands of a person who's greedy or materialistic, 
it becomes a stingy tool of selfish indulgence. In the hands of an evil dictator, it can fund oppression and cruelty. So money is not the problem. It's paper. It's metal. Right? It's a deeper issue. Money is neutral. Now, if you adopt the belief that money is the root of all evil, you may become afraid of money. You may misjudge others who have money. You may falsely accuse money as the culprit for deep issues in your life or in the lives of the people that you care about. Money doesn't create problems in the human heart. Money reveals the problem that's already there in the human heart. We talked about that a couple weeks ago when we talked about the phrase, just follow your heart. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go online and watch or listen to that message. But it's the heart issue. Money is an outward resource. Money is an outward resource. But the root of all kinds of evils, as we see in this passage, is an inward issue. So no, money is not the root of all evil or any evil. It's a resource that exists between the root of evil and the fruit of evil. Now you can tell what is at the root of a person's life by the fruit of how they use their money. So this saying is a good attempt to caution us against uh, the harm money can bring, but the saying doesn't target the actual culprit of the evils and the issues that we struggle with. What God does, though, is He does caution us against loving money. It's loving money. Ecclesiastes 5.10, a book of wisdom that God gave us, says this, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. It's like saying you just keep pouring water into a bucket, but the bucket has holes. The more money you have doesn't mean the better off you're going to be. Those who love money can never have enough. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Well, why? Well, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So keep our lives free from the love of money. Be content because God's there for us. He's with us. Jesus, in Matthew 6, 24, a well-known verse, talks about this. He says, no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one or what? Love the other. So he's going to hate one or love the other, right? What's he talking about? He says, well, he's going to be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So again, a caution from Jesus about loving money. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, through the Apostle Paul, God is giving a glimpse of what the end times. The end times is a season, an era, before Christ returns. Christ has promised to return. He's going to return. And in this passage it says, this is what people are going to be like right before Christ comes back. It says, understand this, that in the last days there will be times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. What else? Lovers of money. Hey, they'll also be proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, continue on, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of good. Sounds like our headlines, doesn't it? This is a beautiful description of what we see going on today. But out of that long list of characteristics that will be true of people right before Christ comes, one of them is being a lover of money. Going to be a lover of money. So we know that having money is not the issue. Loving money is the issue. We know that you can be poor and not love money. We know that you can be rich and love money. But don't forget, you can also be poor and still have a love for money. And you can be wealthy and rich and actually not love money. 
Because the heart is the bigger issue. Loving money brings out what's going on in the heart. So let's go back to this passage, 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. So God's warning us. He's warning us about uh, not loving money because it's going to cause issues. So how do you know if you love money? What are some ways you can go like, well, do I love money or not? There's a much longer, longer list, and it's probably more appropriate to dialogue and have a conversation through it. But here's just some assessment questions you can ask yourself to wonder just how much you may love money. Uh, Questions like this. Do I have a hard time being grateful for what I have? Am I obsessed with becoming rich? Do I envy rich people? Do I devalue poor people? Do I feel like I never have enough? Am I always living beyond my means? Am I a show-off with what I have? Have I forgotten that God is the source of everything? Am I tempted to sin to get more? Do I experience suffering because of financial decisions? Do I make decisions in my life solely based on finances? Uh, do I feel inadequate or inferior, inferior when I don't have what others have or don't get to do what others do? Do I have a list of reasons and justifications as why I'm entitled to have more? Uh, do I keep putting myself and my family at risk for what I'm chasing in the area of finances and possessions, like homes and cars and toys and gadgets and furnishings and etc. And if you start to look at those questions and go, a lot of those might be a yes, then maybe there's an issue with loving money. That's, that's something we can talk about in our mind, but, but what does loving money feel like? like? Like, what does it feel like to love money? So, so let's just say, like, I've, I've got a dollar bill here, okay? Let's say I'm going, okay, look, I'll give you this dollar. Okay, how many of you want this dollar, right? A bunch of you are like, yeah, I'll take a dollar. That's great, I'll take it, okay? Some of you are like, eh, that's all right. I've got more in my wallet. What if it's a 10, all right? Okay, I'll give you a 10. Anyone want the $10 bill? Some of you are like, yeah, I'll take the 10. Why not? Hey, you got to go to lunch after church, whatever. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm not feeling that. So what if I just bring out more than that? And so I've got a fat stack of cash here. Um, in fact, if you look at it, the, the, the top bill's 100, the bottom bill's 100. There's 100 bills here. So if this is indeed $10,000 that I'm holding, and all of a sudden I'm offering you $10,000, how is that feeling, okay? If I were to say, who wants $10,000? I'll give it to you right now. How many of us are going like, yeah, right? Here's the thing. What is that that's taking place inside right now? Like when you see a fat stack of cash and going, oh, man, that, that, that could be ten grand right there. And something inside wants it. That's what it feels like. I just want you to know all these are ones, by the way. I'm not, I'm not a fool, man, walking around here with 10 grand in my pocket, man. What happened to Pastor Chad? We saw him at church. And someone jumped him after service. When you see a bunch of money, when you see the opportunity that can translate to a bunch of money, and something starts to grow inside that dissatisfaction, that, long, that yearning, that longing, what is that? What is that? Greed is a question. Okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing. There is a name for it, but it's not greed. It's discontentment. It's discontentment. See, greed grows in the soil of discontentment. See, discontentment breeds greed. And so what happens is we get to a place where we go, I don't have. I'm not satisfied with what I have. I want more. And that discontentment then makes us greedy. And then our greed makes us want to have, acquire, and love money. Not because this paper, I mean, is this paper evil? It's like, oh, don't touch the paper. It's going to hurt you. No, this isn't evil. 
but it's drawing something out of us. And that discontentment is the catalyst to greed and to loving money and to wanting money. So if discontentment is the enemy, then if we want to defend ourselves against loving money, here's the silver bullet that God gives us to defend ourselves against loving money. Contentment. We need to find ourselves in a place of contentment if we want to avoid loving money. Now, contentment is an attitude of satisfaction. It's fulfillment. It's sufficiency that keeps us at peace despite outward circumstances. And so as followers of Christ, our contentment is rooted not in what we have, but in who we belong to. Our contentment's rooted in Christ. It's rooted in the love of God and who He made us to be. And, and, and God provides for us. God provides our needs. And so contentment is found ultimately in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I read through a book recently by another pastor and author and um, counselor. It's really good. It's called Redeeming Money. I recommend it. It's how God reveals and reorients our hearts. And so it's a newer read where he goes after the interplay between heart, our hearts and money. And he says, the love of money, this is uh, uh, the Paul David Tripp here. He says, the love of money is fundamentally not an overspending problem. It's a contentment problem. And so we need to know this today. Like today, this is the big idea we're hanging everything on. Contentment will keep you from loving money. But loving money will keep you from contentment. Contentment is going to keep you. It's going to protect you. It's going to defend you from loving money. But loving money is going to keep you away from the very contentment that you absolutely long for in the depths of your heart. And so if we're content in what God's provided to meet our essential needs, that content state of mind helps defend us from loving money. But once you start loving money, that contentment fades. That peace goes away. Satisfaction and fulfillment escape us. Because human souls were never made to find contentment in the accumulation of anything. God didn't make us to find contentment by accumulating money and possessions and, and the applause of other people. But we're made, we're designed to find contentment in our God, our maker, our provider. So let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and, and look at this verse again. But this time we're going to zoom out a little bit because anytime you find a verse in the Bible, you've got to look around it, right? Know the text and its context. So as we, as we back up a couple verses, let's start with 1 Timothy 6, 6. Look what God is saying to us through the Apostle Paul as he's writing to a young man that he's mentoring named Timothy. He says, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. There it is. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. See that word? See, God is saying contentment is our defense. It's contentment. When contentment leaves, the love of money tries to take up residence. So let's look at a few of these words. Uh, the word godliness here in 1 Timothy 6, 6 says that godliness implies genuine loving and fear of God. It's a genuine love and fear of God. A, a true desire to obey God, be in relationship with God, to be obedient to God. It's an authentic motivation to please God. It's, it's a vertical relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, that's very evident to all the horizontal relationships. That's godliness. Contentment is that state of mind that's satisfied with God's provision and the resources He provides, and so we feel sufficiency and fulfilling in our life. And the great gain, if, if godliness and contentment are great gain, what's the great gain? It means we're advantaged. Really, we're advantaged by being happy 
without having to have a lot. And so that means we're at peace. So godliness and contentment breathe life into us now because we know that life is truly about the next life, not just this life. And so we have a hope for the future. And so what does this contentment look like? What does it sound like? What does it think like? Well, you look and continue on in First um, Timothy 10, 6, there, 6, it says, We brought nothing into this life, and we take nothing with us afterwards. Th- this contentment goes, look, I didn't bring anything in, and I'm not taking anything out. So why am I going to ruin my life cause stress to my life by chasing things I never entered into the world with and I can't take with me when I'm done. Like, if, if you just back up and stop and go, that is so freeing. The simplicity of going, if all I need to think about is just that God's faithful, He's going to provide, and I don't have to chase after His stuff, there's freedom there. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to go, I came in with nothing, I'm leaving with nothing, but everything in between, I'm going to pursue and chase and chase and chase and chase. Is that really what God made us for? designed us for, created us for. And so we know that contentment is freeing. And as Americans, it's easy to quickly focus on what we don't have. So easy to focus on what we don't have. And think about what we wish we had. You know, we live in a culture that's passionately determined to make us feel like our worth and our happiness is found in the accumulation of wealth and material possessions. The world's message to you is this. Your self-worth is based on your net worth. That's what the world says to you. But the world's lying to you. Because you're worth everything to the Lord. And so we're daily bombarded with messages of materialism and personal wealth, and it's just hammered into our thinking all day with all the pop-up ads and commercials and billboards and songs and TV and the imagery that we see. It's just that message is you need all these things to eventually be happy. And so we become deceived and thinking we're poor. We've been deceived in thinking that we're needy when in actuality we're some of the richest people in the world. There's a fun little tool you can go online and, and, and play with. It's called the Global Rich List. These people did some assessments and research and some formulations, and they put together a little tool that you can type in your salary, and it will tell you how wealthy you are in compared to everyone else in the world. And so I did some research, and you know, the average American salary right now for, for an individual is like $47,000. So let's give you a little bump and say you got a little Christmas bonus and say $50,000. Let's say $50,000 is your annual income. And now some of you make more, some of you make less, but let's just start with this. If you make $50,000 a year, you are actually, check this out, in the top 0.31% wealth of the world. You're at the top of the pyramid compared to the rest of the world on the average. So in one hour, you're going to make 26 bucks, but someone in Ghana is going to make 8 cents to your $26. Now, why don't you sit down and have coffee with that person from Ghana and tell them how bad our life is? Tell them how much we don't have and how our life would be better if we just had fill in the blank, right? It's going to take someone in Zimbabwe 49 years of income to make what you do in one year. 49 years and to make what you make in one year if you're at 50K. And this is kind of a little cheesy thing, but like, look, in one minute you can buy a beverage. That same person in Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe is going to have to work an hour to have a beverage. Okay? But, but this, is, this will put things in perspective. Your monthly income could pay the monthly salaries of 188 doctors in another country. Like, does that put things in perspective a little bit? And all of a sudden, it's like, why are we being convinced pressure into feeling like 
We don't have enough. We're not so far from the truth when you average us out in the world. And so this realization of how much we have should spark gratitude. It should spark gratitude in us, which should spark contentment. Think about that. When you find a content person, you're going to find a lot of gratitude in their life for what God's given. And when you find discontentment, you're going to find an absence of gratitude. And so we have to be grateful. Is your heart satisfied and content in God and who you are in Him and what He's providing in your life? Are you content with your daily bread? Or do you feel like you have to have the whole Panera? <laughs> right? It's like, man, if I don't have the whole Panera offerings, then I'm just, uh, look, God gives us our daily bread. So instead of being enslaved to bigger and better and newer and more popular and most desired and most admired and most marketed and most advertised, instead of, instead of spending life chasing what we didn't start out with and can't keep, let's all start trying to find more contentment by enjoying God's simple provisions in our life. You know, we hear the Apostle Paul testify to this kind of contentment. It's found in Philippians chapter 4. Verses 11 and 12, Paul says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be, what? Content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In and any, every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. Just to echo that and tweak it a little bit, uh, another English translation says it this way, I, didn't, I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to do with little. I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. See, finding this kind of contentment that God's saying through the Apostle Paul is saturated in gratitude. It's satisfied in the basic needs being met, and that is placed there and held there by God. And that contentment will free you from loving Money. Contentment will keep you from loving money. And loving money will keep you from contentment. So God calls us to contentment. But he does caution us about what happens if we don't operate out of contentment. What happens if we do start to love money and chase after money? And he gives a picture of that. Look again at 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll start again with verse 6 and then we'll continue all the way through 10. We've seen some of this already, but now there's a great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That piercing through the many pangs is very graphic. It's like you are being impaled by the suffering that you brought onto yourself by craving and chasing money. Because the heart's not satisfied with who you are in God. Your heart's not satisfied with what God gives you, so you chase after more, and that chasing will impale you and wound you and cause issues in your life. And if you look at this, look at these verses. I mean, they're talking about... Um, Desire for all rich fall into temptation, a snare, harmful desires, ruin, destruction, evils, uh, talking about pain and things that hurt. Like God's making it very clear, if you decide that you're going to chase after money, just know it's going to hurt you. And we're smart enough to know it doesn't just hurt us, right? 
hurts those that we care about. And so through your experience and through your observations, you probably have an idea of what some of those evils are, what some of those pangs uh, are. But just to look at some of those and talk about some of them together, uh, if, here's a sampling of the types of things we expose ourselves to when we love money. Uh, you can become a materialistic and entitled person raising materialistic and entitled children who will raise materialistic and entitled children on and on and on we go. You can create an endless cycle of desire, overspending, debt, struggle. Desire, overspending, debt, struggle. Desire, overspending, debt, struggle. You can win with your bank account, but lose with your family by loving work and money more than the people in your life. Loving money can make you an absent parent and an absent spouse. You can destroy your character by giving in to sinful and immoral temptations to make more money. It can lead you to unnecessary poverty. It can put you in the grave early because of anxiety. You can create false friendships, relationships based on what your money provides for the opportunity. But once that money dries up, guess what happens to those friends, right? They, they, they're gone too. The love of money can create the perfect storm for addiction, addiction to spending, addiction to working, addiction to image management, and eventually even addiction to alcohol and drugs. Loving money creates more stress and anxiety because the more you have, the more your fear grows of losing it. So now you're consumed with how am I going to protect it? How can I keep from losing it? So you've got stress and anxiety because you don't want to see it go bye-bye, right? And so you create more stress in your life. You can suffer from chronic consumerism. Just got to buy, got to buy, got to buy, got to buy. You can suffer from chronic oppressive debt. You can hurt the people in your life by just chasing after the things for fulfillment that will never fulfill. And also you can suffer from a weak, anemic, shallow relationship with the God who made you. Instead of the potent and powerful new life in Christ God has made available to you, you settle for a cheap counterfeit. See, the love of money even has the capacity to detour you away from the eternity that God has designed you for and wants you to have with Him in heaven. So in order to avoid all these evils, each person must dig out its root, that love of money, that longing for more. You know, years ago, when we lived in California, my wife joined on with a health and wellness company and started working a business. And she was doing really well with that business, and she started promoting. And her next level of promotion was going to come with a white Mercedes Benz. That white Mercedes Benz was going to come with an $800 a month payment, by the way. And as long as she was working in the company advancing, the allowance was going to cover that. And so her, some of her work associates, got together. They went down to San Francisco for a day. They had a prearranged test drive at a Mercedes dealer's, um, dealership. And so they spent like half the day driving around white Mercedes of all types all over San Francisco for a day, trying to you know, think about which one they might want. But as we kept looking at the opportunity and preparing for the opportunity, we're going, there's just something inside of us that's going, this doesn't feel right. And it was hard because on one side, it's like a brand new, shiny, high-end vehicle was very appealing, all right? The, the image that my wife's business is doing good, I'm like, you can have what I have, started feeling pretty good. And so it was very appealing. It was drawing us in. It was drawing us out. We're like, this is really cool, right? But yet we knew that if the business were to decline, we'd get stuck with the monthly payment. And that was beyond anything we could have ever done. We would have had to like try to sell that car fast, right? And so um, we just felt like this, this isn't what we should be doing. This is financially reckless for us, and, and God had been working in our hearts with stewardship. And so we declined advancement and just hung out contently where we were. Well, months later, that business took a downturn. 
And all those friends of hers that got the white Mercedes-Benz, guess what they got stuck with? That monthly payment. Guess what we would have got stuck with? That monthly payment. And so we really feel like we dodged a bullet there. But man, it was appealing. It was appealing. You just could feel it drawing you out. I just feel like, man, praise God that we dodged that bullet and learned a little bit more about contentment. We all know the feeling. We all know what it feels like to be drawn in. You know, this loving money leads us away from just depending on the Lord and being grateful for what he provides. Just just walking contently with God and his provision. Back to Paul Tripp in his book, um, he said this. He says, could it be that we love money more than we should because we love ourselves more than we love the one who made us and who owns us and everything in our lives? It's like, man, that's good. And then he said, God created us to be dependent. We were never created to live for a little more than our personal comfort, pleasure, happiness, and success. We will never find the rest of heart that we all seek until we live according to the purpose and glory of the one who created us. Self-sovereignty is a delusion. Self-glory is a disaster. Independence does not work. Self-rule never goes anywhere good. Living for yourself never delivers what you hoped it would. And we can look at people that are, that are living very lavish lives and, 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 and squandering their money, and it looks like they're happy in the moment, but you talk to the counselors who talk to those people in the dark rooms, and there's a whole other story being told. I just can't have enough. I have everything I've ever needed and more, but I'm not happy. The, the, the stress rate, the anxiety rate, the suicide rate, the abuse rate, the addiction rates of people who have a lot is pretty high because they're not content. And then you have other people who have very little that are very content. And then you have some people who God's blessed with wealth, and they're very content too because it's not a sin to have money. It's just a sin for money to have you. It's not a sin to possess money. It's just a sin for money to possess you. So God doesn't have an issue with us having money. It's just the love of money and the the desire for what it will bring our life. And it lures us away from trusting God. This is a heart issue. I came to church today and they're talking about money. We're not talking about money. We're talking about the heart. We're talking about the contentment of a heart and the discontentment of a heart and where those lead us. You know, discontentment's not just a threat to our heart, but to our soul. Because if you make money your God, your idol, it will cost you your soul. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't bribe God for forgiveness of sins. You can have billions of dollars and be spiritually bankrupt. And more accurately, we have a debt to God that we owe. God demands obedience. God demands holiness. Let me see your hand if you 100% of the time obey God. If you would call yourself holy... We owe God a debt. Jesus paid that debt. On the cross, Jesus paid that debt for us. He paid for our sins so that we could have access to God. Man, is that not enough? Is that not enough that the biggest debt we could never pay has been paid in full by the blood of Christ? Why aren't we content with just that? Man, the world's done a number on us, man. Flesh has done a number on us, and so we fight this battle. What's your greatest weapon that God's provided in this text? Contentment. And who God is, belonging to Him, and being satisfied with what He provides you. That contentment I'm talking about will keep you from loving money. And loving money will keep you from that contentment. So what are a couple action steps that you can do today? 
Because this is going to fall on all of us in different ways. We're all in different places of, of income. We're all in different places of financial journeys. So I know this is going to be a very uh, varied application for us in our lives. But one application I'm going to challenge you to do is this. Find an action step to grow in contentment. There are certain tactical, practical things that we can do to grow in contentment. And so, you know, some of you are on the verge of making a financial decision. Is a, is a birth out of contentment or discontentment? Maybe you need to look at that decision and go, do I really need to do that? Is there something you need to give away? Because it's got you. <laughs> um, what decisions are you staring down that maybe you need to rethink? What, what's a tangible action step that you can take to grow in contentment? The other is, what's a prayer I can pray today asking God to help me be content? Because we can only get so far with contentment. Ultimately, contentment's rooted in our identity in Christ. And for those of you who don't know Christ, you need to surrender to Christ to be able to experience that. And so we need God's help. And so what's a prayer? God, help me be more content in this area. God, help take away this desire for this. God, help reroute me in this situation. God, like, just what prayer do you need to start praying on a regular basis to grow your contentment? One suggestion that I make that can fit both of these is to memorize Hebrews 13.5. We touched on it earlier. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Like, memorize that. And then spit that out when you're tempted to be greedy, discontent, fall in love with money. And it's also a prayer. Lord, keep my life free from the love of money. Lord, help me be content with what you've given me. Lord, I know you're always with me. I know you're not going to forsake me. Lord, let, let, let my contentment be rooted in that. This is a great prayer, a, a scripture you can pray back. But think about an application step and a prayer that you can take. Now, the story I started with earlier about Richard is a true story. But it's not truly the person's name. <laughs> the name of that person is Ron. And I want to invite Ron up for a minute. A lot of you know Ron. He's shared his story with us before. Uh, Ron and his wife, Kim, are uh, longtime CVCers. Hi, Ron. You see it. And um, this is an area of deep passion for you, Ron. And this is, this is your journey. And so I've asked Ron just to share, just personally, a little bit of a summary of what I shared in the beginning. And then also tell us about another practical tool and opportunity we have through Generous Life. You are an elder here. You help lead Generous Life. So thank you for serving here at CVC. And then uh, we're going to spend some time praying. I'd love for you to join that time and help us pray as well. So Correct. why don't you tell us a little bit more? Well, like most Americans, I confused the pleasure and comfort I got from money and stuff for happiness. But I never found that happiness. What I didn't realize at the time was I had a contentment problem. I was not content with what I had had in life. So... I remember the moment I first heard God's truth on the topic. I was sitting right about over there, and it was January of 2006 in a series called Stuff that they had here at CBC. And I remember hearing things like God was the creator of everything and the owner of everything. But what really stood out to me was you cannot serve two masters. And if you choose the wrong master, if you choose to serve your stuff... That is a decision that has eternal consequences. And that really sparked something to me. That really spoke. 
And what I did from that point on is I just dove into the scriptures because I wanted to learn everything the Bible had to say about money and possessions. Um, and there are a lot of scriptures in your Bible about that. I also grew in my prayer time. I asked for God's guidance over me. I asked for him to change my heart. I increased in my generosity, which I had never been doing before. I had started to tithe. And I started to look at the offering as not just the basket going by, but a time of worship and an act of giving to God and God's kingdom. So for me, that was a great transformation. And so we started here, the Generous Life Ministry, and the ministry is under the wonderful direction of Brenda Leisinger, and it's a ministry where we look to do the same thing that I went through with folks that need that. So our mission is to create what we call love-inspired stewards who manage God's blessings, God's way, for God's glory. And we do this by discipling people in Christ using biblical truth. We also provide practical tools for folks as well, too, to help them get out of uh, debt if they need that assistance. So this ministry is designed whether... You're struggling financially, and that's distracting you from Christ. Or if you're comfortable in your surplus, and that's distracting you from Christ, or somewhere in between, our ministry is here to serve you. Thanks, Ron. And thanks for letting us share a little bit about your story in life. And we love new life in Christ, man. We love transformation of the heart, and we're so grateful that, that you shared that. So let's just take some time, and we're going we're gonna to close in worship in a minute, but can we just pray? Instead of just talking about what God has to say here. Let's talk to God about these issues. Let's spend a few minutes with the Lord. Would you just pray with me, please? Father, thank you for today. God, it's, it's uncomfortable to talk about money, but Lord, it's, it's uncomfortable because what we're really talking about is our heart. And Lord, our hearts want to fiercely defend this other idol that wants to creep into our life and demands worship the consumerism, the money, the possessions, it demands our affection, it demands our attention, it demands our loyalty. So Father, we all know, every single one of us in this room know what it feels like to love money and to feel discontent. And so Lord, we just want to confess that to you, Lord. We just want to admit that. You already know it. We're not telling you anything you don't know, but Lord, we want to admit that. So would you just take a minute right now, just between you and God, we just quietly pray and confess, like, where do you need to confess in this area? Where have you loved money? Where have you loved possessions more than the Lord? Would you just take a minute and just confess what you need to confess to the Lord, just between you and Him? stuff made me feel like or what it could get me. I confess that there were times I tried to seek satisfaction, fulfillment, and contentment in something or someone other than you, and I'm sorry for that, Father. But you keep pulling my heart back to you and help grow contentment in my life. Now, wherever you find discontentment, you find a lack of gratitude. We would just take some time right now and just thank the Lord. What's God provided for you? 
has God given you? What has he been so generous to you with? Would you just take some time right now and just say thank you? Would you just rattle off everything that comes to your mind right now that are provisions from God? Would you just spend some time thanking him? up today in a comfortable room in a home with a roof over my head there was a fan going because it was blowing air through my home, made it a comfortable temperature I was able to flick on a light switch and get electricity, I was able to turn a knob and get water I was able to look over and see my bride I was able to look down the hall and see three doors behind each one three of the most precious people on this planet to me my closet and pull out clothes. So I'll open up a fridge and pull out some food. Get in a car and drive here. I got to interact with men and women and boys and girls who love you. Every single provision from your hand. Father, thank you. Thank you for everything you provide. We all know there's areas in our life we need to grow. Contentment's one of them. What do you need to grow in contentment? Would you ask God to help you? What do you need to ask God right now to help you with to grow in contentment? Would you just ask him for that right now? Seek him out for that. Father, thank you. We praise you for being the creator. We thank you for being the provider. And we put our trust in you and not the provision. Because, Lord, if we were to follow your example, you loved so much. You loved the world that you gave your only son to pay the debt that we could not pay on our own. And let us replace in our hearts the love of money, the love of stuff, with a love of you. Let us love you with all our strength, our hearts, our mind, our soul, and give our full attention to you, that we may bring honor and glory to your name. For Lord, you are the giver, you are Jehovah Jireh, and by providing your son, you have given us freedom. And we find our contentment in the love, mercy, and grace that you have provided. So we thank you and we praise you here today in Jesus' name.